Welcome to the Driveway Beers Podcast with Mike and Alex. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. Please like, subscribe, comment, and share on any platform that you're listening on. Alright, welcome back to another show. Thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share. Uh, follow us on all the podcast platforms, if you can, that you listen to. Um, that is the handshake agreement we have with you. You subscribe, follow, share, comment, whatever it is that you do. Uh, and you get all the content for free. We're here to put it out for you. We like doing it, but that's the handshake agreement. Thank you for doing that. Um, you can also go to the website, uh, drivewaybeerspodcast.com slash donate. And you can join the, you can join us in the driveway with your choice of uh, light beer, beer, whiskey, craft beer, whatever you want. Pick one, uh, and join us on the driveway. We got us, but we got a guest tonight. We don't, we don't normally do remote guests. We've got a remote guest, so if our audio isn't the best, please forgive us. But we have with us Ken Walker from the Devil's Dew Distillery. And if that sounds familiar, it's because I mentioned it last week. Um, and I think I mentioned it two weeks ago as well. My wife and I, we were out in West Virginia, had a nice weekend to ourselves. Uh, thank you uh, to my mother for keeping the kids for a week. For a weekend, not a week. Jeez, if a week, it'd be another story. Um, we went out to West Virginia. Nothing really out there. We just wanted to get away. Stayed in. Uh, uh, it wasn't a resort. I don't remember. It, I don't remember what they call it. It was like a cabin, like a bunch of cabins out in the woods. Hmm. They had a restaurant there, a nice restaurant. Um, and we went to we went to the casino out there. Played some craps, which was nice. Lost lost some money. Happens. Um, and then on the day before we were going to leave, we wanted to go and do something. Uh, so my wife also enjoys a nice, uh, whiskey or bourbon now and then, just like I do. She kind of got into it when I did, um, which was nice. It's kind of like we picked up a hobby together. Um, and for, she's a champ when she drinks this stuff. I'm, I'm, she, she likes the lower proof stuff like I do. And the, the the higher stuff burns a little bit, and so she doesn't enjoy it as much. Like, I think I had her try the old Forster one hundred. Uh, she didn't like that as much as the eighty six. Right. Well, mine's uh, not into it at all, so you're lucky. So a little bit of time. I, I think she. It, it, I think it's one of those things where if you present it like, hey, I think I want you to get into this with me. Like just the tip. Just the tip. <laughs> I just want you to get into. It. Let's have a hobby together. Yeah. Maybe she'll. You know, oh look, he, he's in, he's involving me in his hobbies. That's so nice. I, I'll give it a try just for that. But anyway, all right. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so the Devils Do Distillery, um, they were super nice guys, and I was talking to them when I was out there. My wife was talking to them. We were trying some of the whiskey. Uh, we tried that the Devils Do Straight Bourbon on the show last week. It was, I enjoy it. Um, it's got a sweet. It, it tastes nice and sweet for me. Doesn't for a ninety proof. It doesn't burn going down. Doesn't burn on the mouth. It's just a smooth whiskey. And so, I wanted to have him on the show. So we want to welcome in Ken Walker, who is the distiller at the Devil's Dew Distillery. And um, like we were mentioning before, this is the distillery I went out to. Awesome place. Um, it, it was it was small, it was a small distillery, but it was a really cool setup that you guys had in the back. Um, I was actually so when you went back up front, I was talking with Wiley for a minute there, and um, he pulled. I, I maybe you know which one he pulled out for me, but I was telling Mike. So we're tasting your the the Devil's Do uh, straight bourbon, the one you guys have for sale now. Yeah, but that that other one that you you haven't put out yet. I think was amazing the way it was. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like in what is, is that one almost ready in like another six months to a year. Did you pull out of the weeded bourbon barrel? We did a barrel pull. And it, first was one, very, it was at the very top. Yeah. I like the backup just a hair. You walked into the shop and we're pretty busy. You came in. Uh, that was your wife with us, uh, uh, with you there. Right. And, uh, and the, you, we introduced each other there and you said, yeah, I'm so sorry. I run a podcast. I'm like, podcast. I'm like, we want to get on that podcast. Oh my gosh. How did we get there? And then here we are today. So I just want to say thank you, first of all, 
for uh, bringing us on the air here. Uh, that We had several releases that day of our local whiskeys, which we're now just getting into. Uh, they're two-year uh, whiskeys uh, out of 15-gallon barrels. Uh, and we have like 15 different mash bills down there that we're working with because we're just coming online right now with uh, with ourselves as distillers. I mean, I, I'm a I'm moonshine for like 20 years. I mean, you know, and then to have an opportunity now to go in and actually make fine bourbons and whiskeys, holy cow, this is like the most super exciting thing ever. And so the whiskeys that you see that are starting to drop are the whiskeys that we are just playing around. Like, you know, you know we're, we're starting off with 100% corn going into uh, smacking a bunch of rye on top of some variations. I got like 15 different mash bills to try to understand the different variations. And that's what we spent the last two years doing. And that's what we're starting to taste right now. So when you come down and see our releases, yeah, you're getting a real nice touch of art right there and just a real nice learning experience. And we have the stories to back the whiskey up, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it was just so when when we were in the back there, I think we tried about three different ones. One of the cool ones that you did for us, though, you let us taste the whiskey before it went in the barrel. So it was clear whiskey. And I thought that was really amazing. Now, don't get me wrong. It, it was pretty hot for me because I like, I mean, I'm more of an odd ice guy. Um, and then you gave us one from a barrel. And that one, even you said that one was a little hot for you. Um, and it, it was funny that I brought that, I was bringing that up because in our, in our last episode, we were talking about how some of these people describe these whiskeys. Yes. And like, we were talking about this one lady and I can't remember the podcast or the, the YouTube channel she's on, but she stuck her nose in this glass and basically said, it smells like dusty barrel. <laughs> or, or was it taste like dusty barrel i forgot what she said i think she said taste like dusty barrel and yeah. then the guy was like oh yeah now that you mentioned it i'm picking up some dusty barrel too My, okay, i mean how do you how do you know what dust tastes like are you looking <laughs> dust to know what a dusty barrel tastes like to you well i guess that's kind of like when you describe dirty socks right or you start describing things in a manner is it good bad i'm, I'm not really sure how to take dusty barrel i almost look like like you know a dusty library book is sometimes the words i use <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dusty library book combined with cigars like you know in an ashtray overnight right uh you know there's all these uh uh indicators that are really fun um common indicators that we talked about were like you know cinnamon uh caramel vanilla uh you might taste a hint of like maybe a, a clove or a spice on top. You can mention spice words or real big words to use. Uh, I just tell people, honestly, when it comes to describing whether it's whiskey or whether it's any type of, of alcoholic beverage, whether even wine too, just make words up, man. It's, that's, that's the fun of it. <laughs> Somebody gets it. Like if, they, if you come across a word, they go, oh, yeah, I kind of understand what you're talking about. That's all you're trying to do is communicate what you're feeling and tasting and that sensation that you're going through. Cause that's all, that's all tasting whiskey is about. It's just like, what are you experiencing? Cause I can't tell you what good whiskey is. Only you can tell me what you like, you know, that's, that's all. And I can only tell you what, how I experience something and how I see it. And then you try to figure out if that's the same way you feel too. When, so as a distiller though, as someone who actually makes this stuff, <laughs> if someone were to come in and, and they do a tasting of one of your, of one of your whiskeys, and they, and they say, oh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of dusty barrel out, out of this. And, and, and like in a good way, though, right? So you're kind of flattered that they're probably like uh, complimenting your whiskey. But at the same time, you're probably like, you know, I didn't put any dust in my in my whiskey. <laughs> like, what, what kind of crap are you full of? It's game on then. Now it's a word challenge. That's all. Now it's just back and forth. No, it's a lot of fun like that. No, I, I welcome, I welcome all kinds of input. I mean, you have to understand, like I said, like, you know, when you try a whiskey, uh, it, I have people come in and go, oh no, I can't, I can't drink this. Or, uh, wow, this is, this is really amazing. Like, you know, you have someone come right behind them and taste the same whiskey and go, wow, I really like this one a lot. Um, that's personal, you know, that's personal subjective opinions there. And you have to respect that. I mean, you know, I don't like, you know, gin. I can't drink gin. It's just uh, a hard thing, right? My you reason know? for gin is a little different because I drank too much of it one night. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, Jack Daniels, forget it. I'm out. It's nothing personal against Jack. I just had a taste aversion from, again, high school. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> the 80s, guys. That's the uh, stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned Jack Daniels because I was just about to mention it. And because my father-in-law loves it. And he likes Scotch yeah, yeah. Jack Daniels, and I was out of bourbon, so they when they're having their house built, they stay with us for about 
six weeks and um he and i would have you know uh, each night would have a nightcap so it would be you know i'd pour him his jack or johnny walker and then i would just grab some bourbon while i was out i'm like oh the only thing here is jacks i'm like i have some jack so i drank it and you know my description of it was it it tastes like hoppy's number nine bore solvent so (laughs) if you've ever been in anyone who's into guns or has been around firearms knows exactly what i'm talking about hoppy's number nine has this distinct smell and to me that's what jack daniels tastes like so um maybe someone would think that i'm pretentious because like oh what the hell is hoppy's number nine tastes like you douchebag well <laughs> <laughs> like anyone who's been around a gun will tell you they they know they they know it's like you know what gasoline smells like well, you know, I mean, Jack Daniels is so distinctively different than Jim Bean, so distinctively different than like, you know, Maker's Mark, Woodford Reserve. They're all so distinctively different. And you just have to realize that uh, we call that the, you know, I don't know if we're better words or worse words. I don't know. Uh, tour, right? The tour of the whiskey. It's the it's your environment. It's the people, the equipment uh, and, and then, you know, the ingredients that go into these things that make a whiskey and they're distinctively so unique because of those characteristics. And that, and that goes to say, that's, that's what, that's what that's all about. And we're no different. Like our whiskeys are just going to be different than everybody else's whiskey. And, you know, uh, part of like what, what, what makes good whiskey for me is not so much. I may, I may not care for certain characteristics of a whiskey, but for me, uh, that's okay. I don't. I don't have to like every part of it. But to have a smooth whiskey, that's what. That's what we're we're really achieving here. And going deep into the hearts, creating really nice smooth whiskeys. And then uh, you you just have. We're learning. There's just certain whiskeys that may may take a little longer in the barrel. You know. Uh, and then other whiskeys, man, they just they come out real tight and smooth. Uh, as long as that that is there. The rest of it's subjective in my mind, you know, to be a good whiskey. And like I said, nothing against Jack. It really is just a personal thing. It was a taste aversion in high school, right? <laughs> so when we, and we tell this to our listeners all the time, when we give our opinion of a whiskey, we come at it from a novice point of view. We are, we're fairly new as far as getting into whiskey. We're coming from beer because we were trying to eliminate carbs from our diet and our, our two main criteria, one, and because I think if new people are getting into whiskey, this is what they're going to think. One, does it burn my mouth? And two, does it burn going down? And three, is it going to burn coming back up? And we've actually found that w- once you get into, you can get certain whiskeys or bourbons that that don't burn going in, they don't burn going down, and they don't burn coming back up. And you can get one fairly reasonably priced. You don't have to pay a thousand bucks for a bottle. No, yes, that's true. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that. And some people just realize that some people like a little, little warmth is what we like to call it. Now, if it's burning down here in your uh, esophagus, that's really t- has a tell of like, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the distiller's cut comes into play there. Like I've had some whiskeys. From some small distilleries where that whiskey's hot. I've had some whiskey some from Moonshiners that I just couldn't drink. I mean, it was just they they were new, they didn't know where the cuts were. And that's that's key. Uh one thing I'd learned about Moonshine was make good corn whiskey, man. You make good smooth corn whiskey. And the way you make good smooth corn whiskey is you go deep down into the hearts and you really discard quite a bit of the front end. And that's one of the things I like about what we're doing there is we really uh pay attention to that going into these 15-gallon barrels. We really go ahead and just, you know, the, the, we, we have a saying, like, don't be greedy. It, it's not worth it. Just go into the hearts and go for that smooth whiskey. Um, past that, then you're starting to deal with, like, flavor profiles and things like that. And that's where you start to look at the grain, the grains that are coming in it. And by the way, I'm no expert either. I'm I'm on a journey of the last two years where I've just been lapping up a lot of whiskey and tasting it and analyzing it. And, it, and, and it's really a, a fun journey. Uh, and I'm learning new every day. So uh, one thing I will say, being a beer drinker myself, is that I do believe that the boiler maker or the sidecar is certainly misunderstood. And beer and whiskey are so well paired together. And that's the thing that I'm looking at now is like different beers pairing with different whiskeys and carrying, you know, kind of some same traits and characteristics of that. That uh, that dusty barrel can lay on a, on a beer too, you know. <laughs> well, that's, that's a neat thing because like, there are times where I will have a 
and I've never thought about whiskey and beer pairs. Everyone thinks about like food and wine or, you know, maybe if someone's making a cocktail, like a, this cocktail and that, you know, with these mixers, but like even just going, maybe not in the same glass, um, but something where, Hey, I want to, I'm drinking some IPAs, but then maybe I want to finish off with a, with something a little harder before I go to bed or maybe I'm going to start out with something harder. Like how do they go together? Yeah, man, dump that whiskey right in that beer too. Now, I mean, okay. you, you don't have to side by side with it either. I mean, you know, we drink that barrel aged uh, uh, beer coming out of the breweries now, and there's whiskey in them barrels, and that whiskey's laying down on that on on that beer like that. And I was I got to thinking like, why am I waiting for it to age when I can just toss it right in there? <laughs> Beautiful thing, you know. So, so whiskey is is kind of you're playing the long game a little bit. Because you've kind of you've got to put together uh, a barrel of whiskey two to three years in advance because it's got to sit right. And you guys, as a small distiller, you know every barrel counts for you. Like if you got if you got to put an axe to a barrel because it tastes like tapu to you, nobody puts an axe to a barrel. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it could be used for something else. I get that, but but. I mean, every barrel that you have to kind of repurpose for something else is, is a lost barrel. You're not, you might not be making as much money off of it. So as a small distiller, what's the, what decision-making goes into what you're going to put in a mash bill to get the whiskey eventually that you're going to get out of it, that you probably, you might not even know what it tastes like in two to three years. Like what's the, what's your decision-making process as far as what you're putting in a mash bill? Well, we, we have 15 different mash bills for that very reason, because we don't know. So, you know, we started off on our first, our very first run was about the equipment and getting it online. We just got it all hooked up. We had it all in play. Um, and we ran 100% corn through it to just to have zero variables on the grain bill. Uh, let's just run a straight corn. It's just a straight 100% uh, uh, corn bourbon that we were, we were targeting. Uh, I, I come from corn background. I love corn. So it was a great a great first uh, first distillation, and we ran we ran the hell out of just straight corn for probably like the first five five weeks. Uh, and our first whiskey releases were one hundred percent corn. From there, we started going in like and saying, well, let's introduce a second grain. Uh, so we ran a couple of whiskeys where we had two grains going on it, like just a nice you know nice uh, uh, distiller's uh, malt on top, giving it a soft end. And we found that you know like a ninety three percent corn. Uh, was good, or sorry, 100% corn was good, but then there was a finish on the back side that was just, to me as a corn drinker, just a little bit too, I don't know if the for lack of better words, bitter for me, right? Or it, it just had something there that just didn't care on the finish. So, but when it went in the barrel, boy, it finished out real nice. And like, but it still was just straight corn. We came back in and did a 93.7. And when we did that, 7% uh, barley malt on top, that barley lays on the back of your palate. I know this now just from just 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 tasting, you know, you know, single malt barleys, uh, whiskeys that we've been running. Um, it has a finish on the very back side of the palate with a sweetness. So by just adding seven percent on the on on this corn, it brought in like it totally shifted the whiskey, and that was a big learn. So this is nothing but a journey of learns uh, through process, and it's been two years, and I got to tell you, it is a freaking blast. Following, like when we introduced wheat, uh, I've got a, a 49% wheat with a 51% rye. It's a rye whiskey. Oh my gosh, that is so good. It, it, and, and the wheat is just so upfront, so sweet. And that's just from learning from, you know, lapping up a bunch of white dog at seven o'clock in the morning. That white dog whiskey is where it all starts. I've been licking on that for like two years. Holy cow. You know, you said you tried some and it wasn't that, you know, it's not pleasant, but there's, there's unpleasant flavors in the white dog as a distiller to understand those. And then to see them churn in the barrel and then start to have identifiers to say that that unpleasant or that not so pleasant taste over here is going to be this wonderful flavor over here. And so right now, two years in, as these barrels are coming down, oh, my gosh, the light bulbs, the dots are all connecting. And we're starting to see that. We're like, okay, this is really awesome here. Now we're going into finishing practices, which is really super fun, too, which is a whole other conversation in itself when you take whiskey and you do a little more with it. Double barreling, double oak. We got a Chardonnay barrel right now. We're getting ready to lay down. Oh, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, I, but I bet it's going to be great. <laughs> I just, oh, we're putting a really nice, uh, really nice weeded bourbon in there. And it, boy, we're going to finish that off there. It's going to be a really nice whiskey. 
Let me just give the details of the distillery real quick. Uh, so it's Devil's Due Distillery. It's on 315 Jamesburg Boulevard in Kearneysville, West Virginia. Uh, it's uh, 25430. Um, the Facebook page is facebook.com slash Devil's Due Distillery. If you want to check them out there. Um, we, we found you just by going on Yelp when we were out there. Um, we were looking for a distillery and you guys were one of the highly rated ones. So we we're like, well, let's go over there. Um, and anyone who's listening right now, if you're out in that West Virginia area, if you're in Charlestown, if you're in, uh, in Harper's Ferry, any, anywhere in that area, head on over. Um, you'll probably, you'll probably see Ken <laughs> over there and, and you will, uh, it, it the one thing I, I told Mike when, when I was there was like, I don't think you guys understood the word. No. <laughs> or no thank you <laughs> the, the, the shots kept coming yes they do yeah and and and, and right now it's uh <laughs> it's really kind of it's good and bad i mean we have so much i want everyone to try we have so much whiskey available right now that we just really started to lay down uh all the whiskey we laid down is now coming coming to fruition so we have a lot of different we right now we have two different varieties uh of our whiskeys that are coming out we got a third one we're getting ready to release here a weeded bourbon. Oh my gosh, we just released, by the way, Dill Pickle Moonshine. Come out and check it out. It's pretty good. Pickle. Yeah, we can. We bottled that today. That was a lot of fun. Because so it's funny because when we're talking about mixing things, um, so our friend Ty, who's been on the show a couple of times, he's super into craft beers. He brought this beer back from Mexico, from uh not Mexico, from Michigan. That well, yeah, <laughs> that was a dill pickle beer. And I will actually drink pickle juice, but like people look at you weird if you walk down. But if I'm drinking beer, it tastes like, and it was like pickle juice of beer was awesome. So yes. we started mixing Miller Lite with pickle juice to make like a pickle shandy. Yes. But if you're doing a pickle whiskey. You might as well just put pickle whiskey into that beer and go and fortify. Let's do it. <laughs> well, take that Miller Lite to a new level now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great idea. I'm, with the uh, bloody marys holy cow you throw that you throw this in with vodka on a bloody mary it takes it to a whole new level dirty martinis forget it it's a game over on that um pickle moonshine is amazingly good uh i i developed it uh with wiley and brian uh because customers were demanding it i i didn't i didn't come up with some brilliant idea let's do pickle old Smokey was doing old pickle or they were doing pickle moonshine i saw that come out and when I tasted theirs, it was it was good, and 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 when I started looking into it and understand what's happening there, I started going through an extraction, uh, really a, a prototype experiments with extracting all kinds of things. Uh, pickles started all that, and the way alcohol works and the way it extracts from things like pickles, it will it just it's beautiful. It sucks all the flavor out of the pickles. It sucks all the aroma and and, uh, and the taste. Uh, comes out of there. Uh, the smell uh, comes right out of there. Uh, holy cow! Into the liquor, and what's left behind? Those pickles. Don't eat those pickles. You're, you're, it's all it just tastes like alcohol. <laughs> so it's not like what when the when the girls in college would take the the bottle of uh, vodka and pour it into a watermelon. <laughs> eat the watermelon. Does not taste good. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I I love pickles, so that's uh, yeah. So that's yeah, that's that kind of fun stuff we're doing. Uh, we're doing uh, we're getting ready to we're getting ready to uh, come into Maryland. So please look for us over there. Uh, any support? My gosh, just say, you know, if you come down to our, our place, try our stuff, and you like something, uh, be ready to go to your local liquor stores and ask for it because we're going to try to comb every liquor store in Frederick. I'm I'm pretty familiar with all the liquor stores. <laughs> <laughs> so how how far do you want to go? So one of our like our our sponsor is uh uh a liquor store here in in arnold it's uh cheers and spirits uh located in the arnold station uh shopping center give it a little plug in there but um <laughs> uh great people over there i'm gonna have to let uh let them know. i'll look them up i'll go down there myself and give them a tasting and we'll figure out how to get it down there i'm not i love that part of it too the the marketing and the sales side of it's super fun um you know and just trying to get the message out and the, the, the thing is to getting it into the bars too, you know, and, and getting it out there. Cause that's where the real, uh, uh, that's where the real tastings come from, which I'm learning when you, in the distribution side, you really want to get to the restaurants and bars because they're the ones that can then advertise you to go to the liquor store and buy this product that's out there, get your tastings at the, at the bars. So it's, it's been a learning and a journey on that level too, the marketing side and the distribution side. Well, we're talking about the business side of things. I guess my question is as a small distillery, 
like you guys, I mean, how much distribution can you do? I mean, how much whiskey can you provide for stores? And you said you want to get in bars too. I mean, how, how much can you produce to actually put it out there? We, we, we can, we can handle uh, any limits there. We have partners in the industry uh, that we work with and uh, we have, we have really, really good whiskeys coming out uh, that we can meet any demand. Now, do you, bring, do you, bring it on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you do you source any from from like uh, I know there, there's a distiller called MGP out there, no, um, and and they do provide some whiskeys for some people out there. They mostly just bottle and slap a brand on it though. They're they're not doing what you guys are doing. I mean, they're actually they're a huge distiller though. MGP uh, Midwest Grain Products is massive. Oh my gosh, and uh, we drink a lot of MGP. Uh, go down through the liquor store. And it says right on the bottles that we that we buy, uh, you know, uh, bottled by such and such distillery produced in Indiana is a sure sign that's probably an MGP product. MGP makes some of the finest whiskeys in this country, uh, you know, next to Kentucky and Tennessee's, right? Uh, next to West Virginia whiskeys, of course. But uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, but uh, what what you know, we have a, a local partner that uh, that helped us get started in this business. We have. Uh, uh, barrels uh, that we own and worked with them in partnership prior to even getting the business opened up. So that was a big help to get product, you know, as a straight whiskey, because that, that bourbon we have is listed as a straight, but actually uh, those whiskeys are about four years now because we still own those barrels down there. So, uh, and we, and we continue to work with this, uh, with this partner here to produce those. So that's how you can handle the distribution side. And there's distillers, you know, it just depends on what you're after. Uh, the craft of distillation doesn't necessarily, or to be a distiller, to, uh, to, to hold that title uh, or to have a distillery license, it's not just about distilling. There's the art of finishing. So MGP provides a lot of whiskeys that, you know, that may be unfinished that people can buy and put them in barrels and age them out. So it's white whiskey you purchase, but then you put them in your barrels and your choice of barrels, and then you age them in those barrels. That's that's part of the practice there, taking whiskeys that might be two years and then uh, transferring them into another barrel and doing a finishing another two to four years on top of that to make a six-year whiskey is a good practice as well. Um, taking whiskeys that you find that taste really good and bringing them to your location and putting your label on it, uh, is nothing wrong with it because on the back of the label, you're going to make those disclaimers like this is produced by such and such distillery, right? Uh, and then you make the statements that you bought it. But to have that option or that opportunity to put those whiskeys in your community, I think is another great way a distiller can be part and bring in, bring in new products and nice products for the whiskey drinkers too. So we we pride ourselves on uh, all local grain sourcing for us. Uh, we are doing that uh, coming out of our distillery. Uh, and we're super excited to work with all of our local farmers here. And local, by the way, just so you know, is Maryland and Virginia too. Uh, we're right on the river, and you know I hate to just disclude or, or, or discard the, the 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 boundaries because our local businesses and partnerships and our customers are all from those regions as well. So uh, we do uh, purchase a little bit of our grain out of Virginia, but uh, we are mainly in West Virginia, a lot, a lot of our grains, and really located down in Charlestown too. I would say for anyone who likes a sweet whiskey, um, you, the one you have right now, the one that we're drinking on right now, which is the straight bourbon. Mm -hmm. It's got some nice sweetness to it. The one, the that one that Wiley had me taste out of that barrel, yeah. man, that was a sweet whiskey. Like I have not tasted anything like that. So uh, whenever, whenever you bottle that, I hope I'm the first phone call because I will drive out to you and come pick a bottle up. That's how good it was, and it was hot. I'll say, but I, it still went smooth. <laughs> it, it was, it was a warm whiskey, but man, it was smooth. And mm -hmm. I, I usually like the lower proof stuff. So for, for someone like me to say that, yeah, it, it, it's got to be smooth. When you're taking higher proof whiskeys, they're going to have a, a, a tendency to, 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 I can hear the word hot. Uh, really, it's just, it, it, it's, they have a tendency to have more of a reaction on your tongue. I mean, there's an alcohol point where, you, you know, your body sort of experiences release and then, but it's the flavor under there. So, uh, yeah, it, it, when you're drinking, you'll find it. The more you drink whiskey, the higher the proof you're going to end up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on. Um, hopefully we can get you back out, back on the show. Um, and if you do come out to Annapolis, We'd love to have you come to the basement and do a show with us in person. I'll so try to know. Oh, yeah. We'll come up there. I might need a couch, though. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I'll actually give you a bed. I got a spare room. We'll, we'll put you in a bed. 
Fantastic. <laughs> right, well, thank you very much. This man is great meeting you guys. And uh, please, anybody that can make it down to the distillery, come see me, Wiley McDaney, Brian Halbert. Uh, super fun uh, tours, uh, free. Come on in any time. And uh, we have a great tasting experience as well. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. So that was uh, Ken Walker with the Devil's Dew Distillery. Such a he's a he's a good dude, man. Oh, uh, definitely, yeah. I love the I love talking to guys about their business, mm-hmm. and it was nice to get like a business, um, that hear about the a little bit about the business side of of a small distillery. Um, I'll be interested to see. Like, I mean, he said he's they can put out as much as they people order, which is, yeah. I mean, you look at the the distillery and like I showed you pictures of like the with all the barrels and stuff. Like I don't know how that I mean I guess you can ramp up, but that'd be that'd be big for them, I guess, wouldn't it? I guess, yeah. I see and that's the kind of stuff like because I've been to a couple of distilleries. I, I haven't been to visited them yet, but I was down at one in Wilmington, and um, you know, it was probably similar size, but to like look at all like the like the big tanks and the pipes and all this stuff that was going on. Like, it just looked cool, you yeah. know? So it's uh, kind of like steampunky, but like, you know, um, they had this storage with all the barrels and like, I just thought it was neat. I'll, so, pu- I'll post those photos again. The still was, I mean, it was like you said, like it looked steampunky, right? Um, but one thing I didn't take a picture of was the mash they had there. Like those big barrels of mash, like mm-hmm. they're huge. And the weird thing is, like, they were fermenting because they were bubbling from the bottom. Yeah. And, like, we were, like, my wife and I were looking down at it. We're like, why is it bubbling? And that's the fermentation process. Yeah. And they had four big tubs of it. And I'm sure it was different mash bills because that's what the mash, that's the mash bill. I'm sure there's four different ones and they're probably going to uh, brew them all. But, what do you call it? I guess you call it distilling, not brewing, right? Yeah, you brew beer. Right. And distill liquor. Well, I don't think he would have... I think if I called it brewing, I don't think he would have cared. He was no. he was, wait, he was super laid back. Yeah. And what do, you, what do you do with wine? You know, I think wine just... You mash it up and... I don't think there's any process with wine. It ferments. Right? Yeah, but you're not like... There's no... Like a winemaker. What do they call it? Like, are they a brewer? No. No. Ferment... Uh, distiller? No. So... If anyone knows, just put it down in the comments for us so yeah. let me know. A vin- I mean, is it a vinter? Maybe. If, so, if someone wants to be our Google for us, if anyone wants to, do, if anyone wants to do Jamie's work for us, yeah, that we don't have, please put it in the comments. Let us know. Um, that that four year whiskey. So it, it sounded like they had help from uh, another distiller. Like he, I guess he was saying they picked. They picked the whiskey, like they picked the mash bill, and they had someone else brew it for distill it for them, I guess. And that's what they're putting out now. So that's the four year one that we're Mm. that we were drinking. Um, but judging by what they've got there, by what I tasted there, um, the younger stuff was hot, like it burned when it went in. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was very sweet tasting, like you could taste the sweetness through it. But again, the one that's almost done that I was talking about. Man, that did not burn. Yeah. Like, that was part... I guess that was... It was aged much longer. Mm-hmm. Like I think the one we tasted was only in the barrel for, like, six months. Yeah. And even... It, and Ken was like, that was too... Like, he even said it was too way too hot for him. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like when you drink moonshine. Like, yeah. that's just coming right out the... Like, no one's aging moonshine. It's clear. Yeah, it, and so... They do have moonshine there. They've got flavored moonshine. Well, yeah, because... Well, I'm excited about that pickle moonshine. So. Yeah. That was, that was interesting. Um, they had all types of flavors, but it was all proof down. So like, it wasn't the hundred or plus proof. Yeah, their moonshine is closer to like sixty, or like Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> you ever drink that in college? Like the, their moonshine, well, their, their moonshine reminded me of like like Bartles and James wine cooler, yeah. like level. Like it was, it was super tasty though. Like you, get, I could see like it's dangerous. Yeah, you can get yourself in trouble real quick with that <laughs> because it tastes like super fruity, super yeah. sweet. I mean, it, the, 
Like I had a thimble of it and I was ready to chug it out of the bottle. Yeah. But I mean, it still had a little, like it still tasted like alcohol a little bit, but not enough to make me stop. And it wasn't even a flavor I liked that much. <clears throat> like my wife picked the flavor. I think she picked like strawberry or something. Maybe mm-hmm. like, me, I probably would pick like the blue raspberry, like something that probably don't belong in nature. Like, right. It's probably just Kool-Aid mixed with moonshine, whatever. But man, that that was tasty. That's all. I, that's all I know. I, I would be in real trouble if that was at a party. That's right. like having like that hoop tea at oh, a party. Yeah. <laughs> Good God, you had to. You know, Where was you, that when we were in high school? Right. <laughs> like, listen, if no one's ever had hoop tea before, it's a, hoop H O O P T T E A. Yeah, so it's like a hoop. <laughs> Hoopty car, but it's and they, it's it's Maryland local. It's made in Ocean City, I think. Yeah, and it is delicious. And now they make they used to only sell it in bags, <laughs> and now it's canned. Yeah. So now it's portable. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the bag was portable too. The bag was portable. It was awkward. Like I mean, you show up with a bag and people look at you weird. You show up with a can and it's socially acceptable. Right. Yeah. Are you drinking out of a bag? Shut up. <laughs> it's, like, it's like bringing box wine to the pool. Right. It's not really socially acceptable. Yeah. But if you bring wine in a in a can, now it's okay. Yeah. Which, by the way, don't they really don't have wine in a can, do they? They've got wine in like little bottles, like travel bottles. They might. I think I want to say I was at a liquor store somewhere and saw canned wine. Because now they're can- like like cut water. It was doing all those mixed drinks. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the, the Orange Smash, which, for those of you that haven't had the Orange Smash, that stuff is straight up dangerous. Yeah. So, um, one of our neighbors drinks it. <laughs> he drank, like, a six-pack of it. It was like... I mean, that cut water, they need to cut... I mean, and this is going to be sacrilegious to some people. They need to cut some of the alcohol out of it. It tastes too much like alcohol to me. Well, it's like the cut water Long Island's like a Long Island I see in a can. Yeah, but even it's a little too heavy on the on the alcohol, less on the flavor. Yeah, like the mules, they need to make it a little bit on the sweeter side. Yeah. Like it's like literally drinking like gin. Yeah, <laughs> like and nothing else. Like if you were gonna sell me gin, just tell me it's gin. Yeah, like, um, but no, that hoop tea is like that's a dangerous thing because I drank one and I swear, like I'm like, there's no alcohol in this, and I. I remember just chugging like the first one, oh, yeah, and then like share, and then and then my wife is like, "You know that has alcohol, right?" I was like, "It does." <laughs> oh, I better slow down. Right. And then chug the next one. <laughs> I was like, no, I just got done running. I'm, I'm, thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. This is delicious. <laughs> it was. It almost tasted like uh, like Lipton. Uh, what's what's that blue one? The brisk iced tea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. Yeah. Like. Well, they have different flavors. Like, there's watermelon and... Yeah. yeah. I, I, I kind of just stick to beer. But the pool's opening up soon, so we'll be back to... It is. got to get done with these these uh, spring sports. I yeah. I haven't been to a, a happy hour in the neighborhood almost in two months now. Well, you keep getting screwed with these Friday games. Dude, dude, I was... Like, who was, who was the person that got them a couple years ago? Was, I got them. Was him. it you? Yeah, so we had... Yeah, so I so last year for spring baseball Friday practice, I was helping to coach that team, so I had to be there. And then that fall for fall ball, we had Friday practice, and then my middle had swim on Fridays. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, so for people that don't know, Fridays in our neighborhood is a happy hour. It's not official. We don't go to anywhere. We we basically go to a central location in the neighborhood. Yeah. And we bring, a, well, I want to say concealed alcohol, but it's. I don't really know if it's concealed anymore. <laughs> I mean, the kid, like, you know, the the sad part is, and I think your kid does this too, because our kids are in the same class, mm-hmm. and I think, and even when they're not in the same class, like they're both in the same school, the same grade, the same. Yeah. They everyone's got recess together. Yeah. And the teachers talk to each other, and both of our kids, like, the, the teachers, oh, what are you guys doing this weekend? And both of our kids are telling everyone we're going, like, they're telling the teachers, oh, we're going to Tot Lot Happy Hour. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to Happy like, Hour. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> Maybe we don't share that. Next but... day on the Happy Hour, Nay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, like, one of the, t- I guess we were, we were doing a parent-teacher conference one year, and I don't remember if it was this year or last year. 
And the teacher goes, you know what's really funny? I was asking the kids what they were doing when we get in your and your kid mentioned happy hour. And like, <laughs> and my, like my face just went like straight. Like, I went from smiling, not really paying attention to the conversation because my wife, when it comes to education, I leave it to my wife. No, oh, that's yeah. That's but, but when I heard hot lot happy hour specifically, <laughs> like, ooh, what? <laughs> she, what did she, what'd she say? No, we're not alcoholics. I promise. No, we not every. Well, not every. Not, we don't go for five hours. I mean, it's more like two hours, mostly. <laughs> I mean, there's some days when it's, I was like trying to explain it away, and she's like, "Ah, don't worry." She's laughing, but I was like, "Oh boy!" Like, I think we were like a different teacher away from like child protective services yeah, being called. You right. know what I'm saying? Like someone who didn't understand yeah. what was going on. I'm like, but the funny thing is like. The kid, I guess the kid, the kids talk on like the uh, the playground mm-hmm. out in recess, and your kids saying we're going to Tot Lot Happy. Like they're like they're literally asking all of the kids in the neighborhood if they're going to Tot Lot Happy Hour. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, wonder, wonder, should we maybe call this something else? <laughs> and they were like, ah, screw it. Yeah, because <laughs> our oldest ones already did this anyway. Yeah, <laughs> like I guess our younger ones are just a little more chatty. Yeah, well. <laughs> right, well, I know. <laughs> They're, okay, a lot more chatty yeah. um, for both of us. Yeah. Like, it's, you can't put any of them in a room together because it's a nonstop conversation. We're like, uh, There's a group of, like, what, six six kids in the neighborhood-ish, roughly? I think, yeah. Come, give or take, some come, some go. Yeah, pretty much they're all within the same ages. Like, your oldest and my oldest are in the same grade. Right. And that, yeah, so... There's a lot of the, so the older kids, unfortunately for your for your oldest. I mean, I know there are some boys in this neighborhood, but there's a for that fifth grade group. There's a lot of girls in that fifth in our neighborhood. There's a lot of fifth grade girls. Yeah, like well, I, I think same in my middle. There's a lot of second grade girls. Yeah, girls too. So yeah. it's a girl centric neighborhood. Yeah, girls <laughs> heavy, which you know they might complain about now. Yeah, old when they're older, but for the. <laughs> For the fifth grader, in three or four years, he's not going to care at all about that. No, <laughs> no, no. I like it here, guys. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you want like, hey, uh, you want to come over to our house? No, no, I'm good. Why don't yeah. you guys come over here? You'll yeah. understand why in about ten minutes. <laughs> We're just going to walk around the neighborhood. Yeah, and you'll understand. Yeah. No, no. It was funny. They um, there was a birthday party recently, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put it all together. At how many fifth how many how many of the fifth grade girls live in this neighborhood? Um, that because I asked my daughter like, do you hang out with X, Y, and Z? She's like, not really, but you know, but I, I, it's kind of like you've got your acquaintances and your friends. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so my, my my daughter hangs out with like the same two to three girls in the neighborhood, but I guess the other three hang out with each other as well. And then they all hang out together. It's not clicks. It's not really clicks. It's like they're all friendly. Yeah. Like it's not like one hates the other. But I guess it, it's like these three more hang out with each other because they're in each other's class. And these three hang out with each other because they're in each other's class. And then they just did a birthday party. And they all did a sleepover. It was like seven girls at a birthday party sleepover. I was like, that is a brave human being. Yeah. That, that, that is a brave adult. Um. But yeah, there, there's a lot of like that age group girls. Um, but even yeah, you're right. Even the third graders, there's third, second, second grade, second. second I, I never remember. Um, I should probably should. It's always the second child. You never remember anything. I barely remember how old she is right. at this point. Like I, I said the wrong age the other day. She was like yelling at me. Like, well, you know I'm eight. Like, I actually didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I kind of forgot. Yeah, I I completely forgot that well, you turned eight. It's it's. My mother used to do this, and now I do it. And I want to yell at one of them, but I can't get the name out. And I'm like going through all their names, and the dog's name gets thrown in there. Wife's name probably yeah. getting thrown in there too. Whoever you are, right? Get over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Just and you don't have three. So no, no, I'm like I, I got the two, and that's more than enough for me. Um, but so the happy hours are coming back. We'll get rid of the spring sports. Although I signed up. So I decided to start uh, a one-time tournament team for mm-hmm. the girl, for the older girls, um, just to see if we want to do tournaments next year. 
Um, so we're gonna play a local tournament. Girls are guaranteed three games. Yeah. Uh, if you get in the playoffs, you get a fourth. But this is all brand new for us. We're, we've only done the rec league, but rec league for us is kind of like travel ball because we yeah, do so play we, everyone in the county. Well, that's and that's you know how it is for baseball in the fall. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was just one team, and it was cool because we were out playing. Um, like we we went up to to uh, Lakeshore, played them. We went up to Severn Danza, played them. We went to. Um, like Linthicum, Ferndale, a couple of times, and it was just neat to play different, different groups and see how they do things versus how we do things. And well, they do th- they do nice fields, and we don't. No, and it's crazy because you'd think that like with this area being as affluent as it is, that there'd be some nice facilities. But I think with that affluence also comes apathy mm-hmm. and parents that just don't care. So you go to Lakeshore. There's a group of dads, and that's what they, that's what they, they maintain those fields. Uh, they have older kids that maintain those fields. So here, like it's just some, and some coaches care about the field, some don't. So uh, I don't know. Like I'm coaching t-ball right now, so I drag the t-ball field after every practice. I don't know who else drags it. Probably nobody. Uh, yeah. So um, and then someone could play, oh well, he drags it. Wrong. Well, at least I drag it. Right, you know. So well, the the other day, I was over at the the school, um, and I was just, I got the tractor out, and I was like, I'm gonna, because we played a game there the night before, and we didn't drag it, so I'm like, okay, I'll drag it today, and I didn't realize there was a team coming to practice on it, mm-hmm. so I just hopped off real quick. I was like, hey, look, we played a game here, I didn't drag it. I'm just gonna drag it now. You guys have a nice coat of, yeah. uh, be have a nice field to practice on. And he was like, cool, man, no problem. And then I was I did it after my daughter's practice. But then I saw there was one of the baseball fields. Nobody was on it. The practice there that had ended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just drove it over there and I, I dragged that one. Kind of because it's fun to drive the thing. Yeah. Like that new that's a new gator, by the way. Oh, they, well, that old freaking the three-wheeled thing was like yeah. a death trap. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I, I, I drove the gator and moved it around and... So I was like, well, there's no one over there. I'll just drag it. So I dragged it. Um, but then my, my daughter's practice ended. So then I dragged that field. So I, I was over there. I just sitting around. I was like, well, I'll just drag three fields. Problem is nobody else does that. You know, like they'll just, they'll drag the one field. Mm-hmm. And normally that's what I would do. But I was like, all right. So I'm hoping, like, I also don't feel like the organization that we're part of and, and the, our your boys and my girls, it's, Softball, baseball, it's all the same organization. Yeah. I don't feel like it's kind of put out there that, hey, anybody can do this. If you're if you're a parent on a team, it, it, feel free. Here's yeah, the so, code. like, with my oldest team, I'll get out there and I'll talk to the, like, if, I, if there's no other event going on, I'll get out there and I'll drag the field prior to their game. And the coaches are appreciative of it. And I'll help them stripe and do all that stuff, you know, help them mark it up. And um, the all-star game is this weekend, so I'll get out there. And that's fun because I'll put, like, the coaches' boxes. I'll do the on-deck circles for the kids and just have some fun with it so it's a little more special for them. But mm-hmm. um, I'm also coaching, so I know the codes to the, all the all the things, and I went through the thing, and I've done it before. But, yeah, I think a lot of the parents don't know that they can just do it. Um I think the other problem is, is that the volunteer, the family volunteer fee. So they charge an extra sixty bucks a season unless you volunteer, then they discount that. But the volunteering is only for the concession stand. Right. It interestingly enough, it doesn't affect like you coaching a team doesn't get you out of it. <laughs> so I can go sell hot dogs for four hours on a Saturday, and get out of it. But I can't do that because I'm also coaching a team, sometimes two. So I can't get out of it because I have kids I'm responsible for. But at T-Ball, it's probably I'm probably giving them three hours a week with prep and all that. You're dragging the fields and things like that. Sure. Um, with the upper levels, where they're playing two games at a practice every week, well, at that point, I'm probably giving them six hours a week. But I still can't get out of the fee. Right, but I can't also, you know. And here's the other thing: if you're one of the 
parents that like, hey, I think selling hot dogs is stupid, but let me take care of these fields. Can I get out of it? I think you'd have more people that would do that too. Absolutely. I mean, and not that people really care. I mean, most people don't care about the 60 bucks. It's the gesture. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you're doing these extra things that we need done to make our fields look better. Like, for example, I went out, uh, our girls played uh, a, a team out in uh, Bowie. And there's a, the, a, a set of fields called Black Sox Fields. Mm-hmm. I don't know the actual name. Black Sox Park. Okay, so Black Sox Park. The four fields there look practically like pro-level fields. Yeah. At least, I mean, I mean, dirt is dirt, right? I mean, it is what it is. But the grass was well taken care of. Mm-hmm. Now, that's also run by the city. Whereas, yeah, the like, city of Bowie maintains those fields. Right. And people pay extra taxes to live in Bowie. You pay PG County plus Bowie City taxes. Yeah. But my thing is this. is like our county is not, uh, not, not bereft of money. No, we're not destitute. No. <laughs> so how much extra money would it cost them to put down some... To, to do fall aeration and some seeding. Now, I know what the excuse is going to be. Well, you play fall ball, so you're just going to walk on this grass after we've aerated and seeded it. You only need about seven days for germination. Yeah. Now, is it going to come up super lush in one year if you play on it after that two-week period or one-week period? No, but you're still going to get grass growth, and the grass is going to push the weeds out. Yeah. Right now, the weeds are overtaking the grass. Mm-hmm. And at the, least, the fields are all crab, crabgrass and clover. Yes. And if this is a county park, it's like, I, I know if, if we did it, it costs you about 100 bucks to 200 bucks to run an aerator for a day. Mm-hmm. A huge bag of grass seed is 100 bucks, or it used to be probably no, like closer to 120. Each outfield probably needs three bags of grass. Mm-hmm. Let's say you do 10 fields. All right. So the aerator gets split up amongst 10 different fields. So if it's 100 bucks, it's 10 bucks a field. Let's say it's 20. 20 bucks a field plus $300 in seed. For $220, mm-hmm. you can grow some outfield grass for crying yeah. out loud. And maybe for an additional 20, you can get some, uh, some, the, the weed and grass killer. Yeah. To get the... So the grass isn't growing on the infield. Mm-hmm. Like, you do two seasons of that, and then then you you don't need three bags of grass seed every year. Then you only need one just to maintain. Yeah. But maybe you got to pay the employee to do it, but that's a sunk cost. You're paying the employee anyway. So instead of mowing the lawn one week, they go and put the grass seed into the aeration. Yeah. Or... Through our, through our baseball organization, have some have some dads rent out some equipment. Maybe someone else pays for the grass seed, and you refund them the sixty dollars for the family fee. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't think you would get five to ten dads from both sets, baseball and or softball, ten dads total. Mm-hmm. One of them with a truck to get the aerator and the seed. Yeah. To each place. There's probably, what, three, four locations-ish? Mm-hmm. You're telling me that wouldn't happen? They, yeah. would they would send for that in heartbeat. And, and there there are ways that you can do it. So, say f- you, you aerate overseed and fertilize in the fall. Mm-hmm. And you can pretty much do it anywhere from, like, October 1st to around here, probably Thanksgiving. And still have it effective. Right, you know, you don't, even, you don't even need to grow. You just need, you just need the roots to take hold, so it comes up in the spring. Exactly, and and the, and the reason you do it then is because it's cool nights and warm days, so the grass likes that likes that environment. So what you do, fall ball, the fields aren't there's not as many kids playing baseball in the fall anyway. Mm-hmm. Now some of the parks like Broadneck, you might have an issue because they're being used for lacrosse and soccer at the same time. So the, the baseball fields, mm-hmm. yeah. So like. I think it's Broadneck, Broad Broadneck Two. The outfield they use it for lacrosse, mm-hmm. and they play clinic that clinic soccer on that field. But what you do is you say, okay, 
we're going to hit this field. But Belvedere and Arnold are used for nothing else. So you go and say, okay, we're going to hit this field, this field, and this field early. They're not to be used. Just stay off it. Because you're not as many teams playing, so they can just play on the other fields. Right. Then, after fall ball's over, which is usually, it happens in November, fall ball ends, then you aerate the ones that you were using. The next year, you just flip it. Right. So each field gets the gets gets done, and it's just it's a it's simple. Right. You just have to have someone that's willing to do it, and then as far as the cost, you might be able to get a sponsorship from some, you know, let's say some big lawn landscaping company. Yeah. Will put their banner out there, and they'll do it for for free, or they'll do it for a reduce whatever it is. Right, and not only that, I mean, put their ban put their ad on the Facebook page. Yeah. Put their ad on the, on the website. website. Yeah, like every kid's got to go to that website to sign up, or every kid's parent has yeah. to go to the website to sign up. Let them put an ad up there with like a with like an aeration special. Yeah, that people will see. You code BBSC for ten percent off or whatever. And there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, think about it. If I mean, I use a lawn service, like not to mow, but to do other stuff like aeration, seeding, fertilizer, all yeah. that stuff. If I knew there was one that sponsored. Or that paid for the grass and grass seed and whatnot for for the baseball softball club, I'd at least give them a phone call. Yeah, and say, hey, why don't you guys come give me a quote? Yeah, I got this coupon BBSC. Yeah, you don't you don't think they would get? I mean, you're talking about how many kids are are in from T-ball to fourteen U? Oh yeah, there's got to be at least three hundred kids. Certain, uh, yeah, at least right. Yep. You're telling me that out of those 300 parents, you won't get 30 of them to sign up? Yeah. Or what about somebody of that 300? So you have a, a guy that own, like, owns three or four rental properties. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I'm looking for a new landscaper because I'm not cutting all this grass myself. You guys want to come out and... I mean, it's it's just the, the benefits are there. Or even if they just let you pay for the seed at their cost because mm-hmm. they're getting discounts at the, at, the, at the places that sell seed. Yeah. Or they have an aerator. Mm-hmm. You know, will you let us use your aerator? Yeah. Or, yeah, you know, what whatever it is, because they, we already have the tra- the tractors and the gators. We can pull something behind it. So yeah, if you can buy a core aerator pulled by a tractor, mm-hmm. doesn't cost that much. I mean, get one for a, a small one for like a lawn tractor. Yeah. You get one for like a hundred bucks. You figure what the bigger one for the gator is probably two hundred, yeah. two fifty, and you could probably buy one used off of like Facebook Marketplace. Oh yeah. And just take it from each field. Just mm-hmm. take it to each field, hook it up to each tractor, and do it. And it's just, there's no organization there. Yeah. And the guys that run it now, they only think about their teams because their teams are isolated from the rest of the organization. Which, how that's even allowed to happen is beyond me. Like, look, I get it if you if the, he wants to, like, if they want to coach those teams and those teams are isolated in their own bank accounts and everything else... They can fundraise on their own. They do everything on their own. That's fine. But those people should not be in charge of an entire organization that includes rec leagues. Yeah. It Because they're not looking out for the best interest of all the kids in the organization. They're looking out for their team. They're 14 to 16 players. That's what they're looking out for. They already get their own fields. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you, you have your good situation. Now let's let's spread the wealth a little bit. <clears throat> and I remember we talked to them, and their their rationale for having worse uniforms for the softball girls after a couple of years because we used to have nice ones, nice mm-hmm. uniforms, and they downgraded them to like these cheap, like it's mo- it's like a moisture wicking tank top, but it's super thin, mm-hmm. like just n- like the other ones used to be like uh, double tri coat mash. Mm-hmm. Like with side inserts and whatnot, like buttons. they were, they didn't do buttons, but okay. they did. But they, they were nice. Yeah. They probably cost an extra five to ten bucks mm-hmm. per girl. And their rationale was, well, the girls don't bring in enough money. So okay, if we have to, if softball has to be self sufficient every single year, then why on earth are we part of the larger organization? Yeah, and I get it. Like, why should money from the boys go to the girls? Some years it might, some years it might not. I mean, considering the fact that but that's how, but that's how college athletics works. Sure, I mean, I mean you think about it, like, like the Georgia Bulldogs. Okay, so 
before I came over, I was watching the ACC softball because um, O's aren't playing tonight. So I was just but I was, and they, they were awesome. Well, I'll check it. I, I always like watching the, the collegiate softball stuff because it's it's neat because it's we talked about this before. Like that grounded a third in MLB, that's an automatic out. Mm-hmm. But in softball, it's a smaller field. These girls are fast. There could be a an error. They're not pro ball players, so like that could be. You know, they're not. It's not a guarantee. It's not automatic. You might see some excitement. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, but it was Clemson. It was North Carolina and Clemson were playing. So you can't tell me that Clemson girls softball doesn't benefit from Clemson football and men's basketball. Right. Like they're bringing in big money for those into their their program, and I don't have a problem if. There's four 10U, or so now our oldest are playing 12U, 12U rec teams, and then the money from those 12U rec teams goes and supports the the one girls 12U softball team. Yeah. I mean, and right now for, for softball, there's, there's two 12U, there's two 10U, there's three 8U, mm-hmm. and... 6U doesn't really do it by team anymore. Yeah. They're just, they kind of like, they've got them all bunched together. Because mm-hmm. it's more instructional than it is yeah. games and whatnot. But they do games, whatever. Um, but, I mean, don't get me wrong. I get, the, I get it that the revenue isn't there. But with softball, there's fewer fields to maintain. Yeah. So. Was it two? Or well, there's, there's the two fields of Belvedere that they use for softball. Yeah. But then the, there's the one at Arnold. There's one at Arnold and, and one at Cape. One at Cape. Now keep in mind, so like at Arnold, there's four other fields there. So this organization has to still maintain four other fields and only one of those, and then one field for softball. Yeah. So it's a it's a four to one ratio there. Like, so we right we might want uniforms that cost a little more, but are do we need as much money for field maintenance for? Are four only four fields that we use? You know, it, it it works out in the end a little bit. I mean, it, will a little bit of money go from one way to the other? Sure, maybe. But how many companies are are sending sponsorship money to the group because they're softball? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that and, and if anyone sends sponsorship money, it goes into the larger pot. Yeah, it doesn't get separated by softball or baseball at that point. Right. Unless if I was a business, I said, you know what, I'm going to buy softball pitching machines for the club and I'm doing it like that's the only way or softball something specific but really when you break it down everyone's going to bring their own bat or their own gloves their own equipment so yeah. then I mean I can go and say I owned a you know a, a thing that did screen printing I can say I'm going to donate all the girls softball uniforms yeah so well the funny part so this year we bought the girls, all and I think baseball might have been the same. All the girls bought their own. We're pants. pants this year, yeah. Yeah. So the only thing, the only real expense is the jerseys. And to be honest with you, the boys' jerseys are t-shirts. That's all they are. It's yeah. like why? Like we we pay one of the highest rates of all the surrounding organizations. Our fields aren't any better. Our uniforms aren't any, aren't any better. Like so, where's the money going? Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like with the pants, like. People were complaining about it. I was like, my oldest hates he he calls them dork pants mm. that have like the elastic on the cuffs. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's eleven. Like he wants to look like the guys that are playing for the O's. So he either wants knickers or he wants like pro style open bottom pants. He's not wearing dork pants. Yeah, you know. So he's like he doesn't mess around with like even last year they issued them. I just chucked him in a. In the, the bin with all the other baseball pants, and he wears his his open bottom pants. So. Yeah, I mean, and the, with the girls, last year they they basically <laughs> so with the boys and the girls they bought the same pants. They bought unisex pants. Well, for all the female listeners that we don't have, <laughs> unisex pants don't fit women. No, and at ten, eleven, they're starting to get things are happening. Yeah, yeah, and they want to they want to look more like women. Yeah. I mean, not that they're well, like, 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 their kids, whatever. Yeah. Okay, but 
they still want pants that fit them properly. Right, and, and like, here, like, so watching that soft, the the Division One college, I mean, those girls wear pants. I mean, they must be leggings, right? And I'm sure the little girls want to wear the same stuff that those girls do. Bingo. Now the boys aren't wearing skin tight pants. No, but they know? want to wear what the major leaguers are wearing. Yeah, like my girl, like my oldest sees like we watched the College World Series with her. Yeah, it's a good time. And she, I think we watched the Oklahoma. Go going that tear they had, yeah. Because um, that girl, I think it was her name Jessica Allo, broke like the the women's, uh, I guess not women, but the softball home run record one mm-hmm. year last year or two years ago. She, she thought the uniforms were awesome, yeah. And she, and then she went out and she was wearing some baggy, some baggy boys pants. Yeah, she's like, mm. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that old, it's that old, it's that old saying: look good, uh, look good, play good. Yeah, or, look. Uh, what is it? Look good, feel good, feel good, play good. Yeah. Okay. Well, they didn't feel good. Right. They didn't, they didn't look good. Yeah. So, but I know they're the first world problems. I get it. But I'm just saying, like, so I I, I wish there was uh, some more we could probably do. And who knows? Maybe there is. But I think this all started with me saying we were going <laughs> to, we were, spring ball was going to end. I was going to be able to go to happy hour more. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to tell everyone I signed up for tournament softball. Yeah. For well, one, that's, one weekend. That's all. Yeah. We're going to do four practices beforehand. See, I, <clears throat> I I love baseball season and, you know, watching, coaching the kids. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And the thing was, I wasn't a baseball player growing up. Like, I just spent a lot of time watching videos and learning. And I follow these coaches' websites and different Instagram channels, YouTube channels, and just try to absorb as much as I can. And um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And then I enjoy watching the kids get bigger and better and stronger and, uh, you know, when things click for them. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. I get sad when it ends. Like, I, you know, we're going to do, hopefully get on the tournament team this summer and he'll play into July. Mm-hmm. And I'll love it. Like, it's... It's great. So I don't care how hot it is, you know. Um, so uh, I'd probably get it, get for us the, to do a full slate of tournaments. the The summer schedule is just so packed already. Yeah, it's like okay, they're going to camp this week, then we're going away this week. Then she's going to she's going to another camp, and then we go away again. And then we got the we got these couple of practices we got to get in. Then we got the tournament we're doing, and next thing you know, school starting again. Yeah. It's like, gosh, like you only got eight weeks to fit everything in. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I guess we'll figure that stuff out as we go. But I'm looking forward to like at least a couple of weeks of just being able to sit, <laughs> sit uh, back at our sitting place in, in the neighborhood <laughs> and just hanging out for a little while and not, not being in a rush to be somewhere. So, yeah, definitely. But we hope you guys enjoyed the interview with uh, uh, Ken Walker from Devil's Dude Distillery. Please check them out at uh, facebook.com slash Devil's Dude Distillery. Um, they're in Kearneysville, West Virginia, if you're out that way, which is out by uh, Harper's Ferry and, and Charlestown. So you can go do a little gambling or or actually get drunk first, then do some gambling. That's always a winning combination. <laughs> that won't lose you any money at all. Uh Thank you to Cheers and Spirits for sponsoring this episode. Hopefully we can get the, the Devil's Do bourbon in their store at some point. Uh, like us on, on Facebook, Twitter. We're, we're in all the major places. Like, subscribe, comment, share, and we will see you next time. <laughs>